The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. We have two scripture readings this morning. The first one is 1 Corinthians 14, 12 through 16. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? Our second reading is from Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing in our series, Family Meals, this morning. Uh, Throughout this series, we've reflected together something so beautiful, and that is that the entire Christian life is one that is filled with grace from beginning to end. Um, We've reflected on the reality that we're not only justified, made right before God by his grace, but that we are sanctified by his grace and we are glorified by his grace. He will sustain us. He will bring us home to him and it will be all by his grace grace. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? That your identity in your Christian life is hidden in Jesus Christ. He will sustain us. He will transform us. But we've also seen that just like ordinary meals, right, that we eat together in the evenings with our family, Um, Just like those normal, forgettable meals, no offense mom or dad, right? Um, Just like those meals that we quickly forget about um, nourish us and sustain us, um, so our weekly gathering, our corporate gathering, um, where we come together, where we do a lot of the same things week in, and week out, is what you can call a means of grace. Um, It is an avenue uh, through which God pours out his grace on our life. Um, The triune God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ is a God that pours out his grace, yes, but he's a God that pours out his grace through means, through means. So last week, we looked at together uh, how God pours out his grace upon us through the means of preaching in our corporate worship. 
This week, we're going to look at how God pours out His grace on our lives through song and through prayer. Through song and through prayer. And and we're going to ask this question. I kind of want you to be asking this the whole time as I'm preaching. Um, If God does uh, reveal himself to us, if God does pour out his grace upon us through song and through prayer, um, then how do we stand underneath that waterfall? You see? Um, How do we stand under and drink from that waterfall of grace? How do we, to put it in other words, avail ourselves of the means of prayer and song? That's what we want. But before we get into that, um, I want to make a quick comment about um, the shaping effect of ordinary practices. The shaping effect of ordinary practices. Uh, There's a theologian and philosopher, his name is James K. Smith. I love his work. I would recommend that you read it. Um, And he argues this. He argues that you and I um, are always shaped by our practices. Um, He argues that you and I are habits of creature, or creature of habit, excuse me, whether we think we are or not. Um, And that the practices that we do day in and day out, the practices that we do on the weekend, the practices that we do when we gather, have a massive shaping effect on who we become as people, as as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Um, And in his book, he talks about thin practices and thick practices. And so he says that a thin practice, um, they have a shaping effect on us, but they're less meaningful, like like brushing our teeth or taking out the trash. Some of you may argue they're very meaningful, but I, I think you get what he's saying, right? Um, but then he says there are also these thick practices, and these thick practices are uh, practices that shape our desires, our affection. They form our identity. Um, and for Smith, this includes social media use. Uh, For Smith, this includes watching the news. Uh, For Smith, this includes going to the mall. And for Smith, this includes corporate worship. So, another thing that I want to keep on the forefront of our minds as we go through this sermon is not only how do we avail ourselves the means of grace, of prayer, and song, um, but also I want us to um, focus our attention on the reality that Our weekly singing, okay, our weekly praying, or lack thereof, um, does have a shaping effect upon us. It shapes us in a certain way. It shapes us to be a certain type of person. It shapes us to be a certain type of community. Community. Okay, so I kind of have three main points for my note takers out there. Uh, My first one is that uh, I want us to reflect on the reality that praying and singing together are a means of grace that shape us to be a people that love God. Our praying and singing together, together is important, are a means of grace that shape us to be a people that love God. 
Um, you may have noticed that we start our services with a call to worship. Uh, you can find these calls to worship in the Scriptures. A, a well-known one is Psalm 100. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. He who made us and we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. Um, we begin our service with a call to worship. Now, part of this is, is, is practical, sure. Why? Well, because we got a lot of talkers in this congregation. You know, oh, yeah. Um, you know who you are. Uh, and you know that if we didn't shut you up, that you would just keep talking right through the entire service, through the benediction, and out into the parking lot, right? Um, now, I confess, there's blood on my hands here, okay? Um, I am a talker. When I come to Shades and I see dear friends, I want to talk to them. Um, when I see Andrew Thompson, I want to talk about the Tiger Woods documentary. When I see Peyton Ford, I want to talk about his new golf clubs. When I see Matt Theus, I want to talk about when are we going to play golf. I don't know if you see a common thing coming here, right? Um, I'm sure you want to do the same, right? Um, but when... John Mark gets on the piano, and he begins to play, and he calls our attention to the call to worship. This is a signal for me that I have been called into the courts of the king. Um, I have been called by the king into his presence, and he deserves my full attention. He deserves my full attention. Uh, Mike Cosper has written a lovely little book called Rhythms of Grace. And in it, he says this. He says that God is the great initiator. Uh, he made the world, he made us, and he's remaking us in Jesus. Our gatherings, our gathering this morning, is a response. We need to see this. It's a response to his initiation, to his invitation. You remember Psalm 100? He made us. We are his. We are his people. We come before him with joyful song. Um, you woke up this morning, right? If you're like me, you hit the snooze button six times. You uttered a few curse words under your breath. And then you got up. You put your clothes on. You got in the car. You came here. You sat down. Right? That's all true. But it is God that brought you here this morning. Do you see that? It is God that brought you here this morning. Um, it is not just John Mark that wants us to sing. It is not just the stall cups from the front that want us to pray. First and foremost, it is God who calls us to sing. It is God that gives us the words to cry out to him in worship through song and prayer. Um, the Psalms over 100 times exhort us to sing. You know, is that? Over a hundred times. When you look uh, at the New Testament, you see time and time again the church get together and pray. And the church is exhorted to pray. Be constant in prayer. The church in Acts devoted themselves to the prayers. In Colossians, Paul tells the church, continue steadfastly in what? Prayer. He's talking about individual prayer? Of course he is. But he's talking about corporate prayer. This is all 
God's grace to us. He wants to pour out his grace to us, and he wants to do it through the means of song and corporate worship and prayer. Um, so God is the author. He's the initiator. That's, that's where you have to begin, right? That's what we have to acknowledge. Um, but he's also the object, right? He's also the object. The early church had a Latin phrase uh, that kind of went around, and it essentially said that, so we pray, we believe. So we pray, we believe. I think you could add to that, so we pray and sing, so we believe. Um, Do you realize that our songs and our prayers are loaded with beliefs and statements about who God is. It's loaded with denials about what's false. It's filled with exhortations of how you and I are to respond to Jesus. Um, look at Colossians 3.16 with me, the passage, the passage that was read this morning. Uh, Paul tells the church to let the word of Christ dwell among them richly, Right? We might say, okay, Paul, that's awesome. Let the word of Christ dwell among us. How's that supposed to happen? He goes on. He says, teaching and admonishing one another. We say, yeah, Paul, okay, that makes sense. But then do you know what else he says? Let the word of Christ dwell among you through what? Singing. Singing. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is why... Biblically faithful, Christ-exalting prayers and songs are so important. It's not that we're just theological sticks in the mud here that want to criticize lyrics and tell people that their favorite worship songs suck, right? No. I mean, a part of me wants to do that, yeah. Um, But no, our desire is that our songs would be biblically faithful. Our our, our desire is that our songs would center on Jesus Christ. Our desire is that our prayers would be rooted in scriptures and would be about exalting the God revealed in scriptures because we want to see Jesus. That's what we need this morning. We desperately need Jesus, not the Jesus of our imagination, Not the Jesus of our construction, but Jesus as he's revealed to us in the word. Because you and I were created to enjoy and to delight in Jesus Christ. Right? Our hearts were were created to make much of him. And what do we do when we sing? We make much of Jesus. Right? We proclaim it. We sing it. What do we do when we pray? We not only state something doctrinally, but we are shaped by the very words that we say. How do we come before God in prayer? We come before God in prayer and we say, Our what? Father. We dare to name that in Jesus Christ we call the God of the universe Father. And that reality, yes, it's a doctrinal statement, Um, But it's also something that each time that we do, it's supposed to sink in more and more, right? Um, For some of us, this is so hard to do 
because of our earthly fathers. Right? And so when we hear Heavenly Father, we, we, we hear distant, we hear aloof, we hear uncon, unconcerned. Maybe feelings of abandonment come up. Maybe even abuse. Yet we are to be shaped by the scriptures. God is a good, good Father. And as we continue to pray that, as we continue to come before and sing that, our hearts are supposed to be stirred and shaped that yes, we have entered into a loving relationship with the God of the universe and he is our father. He is our father. Um, the, the last thing I want to say about this is um, this, this, uh, this gazing upon Jesus, this this staring upon him, this enjoying him and delighting in him, this is something that we're going to be doing for eternity, right? Um, so uh, you hear pastors say, and I say this all the time, that heaven um, isn't going to be an eternal worship service, right? Um, and that's true, right? It's, it's getting us to think about our eschatology. It's getting us to think about the new heavens and the new earth and to think about what will it be like for there to be work in new heavens and a new earth. What will it be like to live on this earth? I mean, there's so much that we don't know, but right, it's trying to push our vision uh, beyond just singing. But let's not be mistaken. Singing will be there. In Revelation, what do the saints that have persevered, what do they do before the throne? They sing. And, and let's be clear, you and I will never get bored with Jesus. You and I will never get bored staring at Jesus. We will never get bored uh, delighting in Jesus, right? Um, our love will only increase. I can't even wrap my mind around that. Ten billion years from now, I will be seeing more of Jesus, and I will be falling more in love with him. That's what eternity is. That's beautiful. And so as we come together as the church corporately and sing together, uh, fixing our eyes upon him and who he is as revealed in his word, as we do, through, do so not only through singing and praying, it's a foretaste of eternity. It's a foretaste of eternity. And so you might be saying, well, Brad, can I just do this singing and this praying on my own? No. No. Which leads me to my next point. My next point for you note takers is praying and singing together are a means of grace that not only shapes us to be people that love God, um, but praying and singing are a means of grace that shape us to be a people that love one another. And I really want to focus our attention on this point this morning. Praying and singing is meant to shape our hearts to love one another. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 12 through 15 with me, if you have your Bibles. Paul says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. 
What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Okay, now let me just say a few words about speaking in tongues. I'm kidding. I can't do that this morning. I know. I'm sorry. I would really, I would really like to. Um, we have, it shades before, Jonathan preached an entire sermon on this topic. If you're interested, email us. Uh, we'll send you that sermon. You can also find it on iTunes, website, Spotify, etc. Um, we don't have time to get into that this morning. Uh, there's much that can be said about this text. Uh, I just want to focus our attention to this. Um, I want to see what Paul says here. Paul says that in the corporate gathering, the person who prays or sings with a tongue should also pray that he or she would be able to put what they have uttered into intelligible words. Okay? That's what Paul says, his words. Um, The person who prays or sings with a tongue should also pray that he or she would be able to put what they've uttered into intelligible words. Why? Why does the person need to do this? So that their prayer or their singing may be, one, understood by the body, and therefore it would build the body up. Why do they pray this? So that their singing may be understood by the body and therefore encourage the body. What's clear from this passage is that the body, the church, is a witness to the individuals singing and praying. Okay? Church is a witness to the individuals singing and praying. And what's Paul's primary concern in our individual singing and praying? 14.12, Paul wants the the church to strive in doing what? Building up the body. Paul says in 14.19, what does he say? He says, I would rather speak five words with my mind, intelligible words, um, in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. I would rather speak five intelligible words to build up the body rather than thousands of words in a tongue it would lead to my personal edification. Here's what we need to see. It's so important. Paul is not against personal spiritual edification through song and prayer and corporate worship. He's not against that. But what's his primary concern? It's the edification of the church. It's building up the body through singing and prayer. I think this is such a prophetic word to our 2020 American Christian moment. Um, Because what are the questions that we ask when we come into corporate worship? When we think about singing? Maybe it's this. Well, I wonder what I'm going to get out of the service today. I wonder what spiritual benefit I'm going to get from the time of singing or the prayer. Um, I, I wonder what I will experience. Uh, At one church that I was a part of, there was a leader 
that found out that the upcoming sermon was going to be on the topic of singleness. And this leader said, well, I'm married. Why would I come? Now, let's just name that. That is deeply troubling. And that is an understanding of Sunday morning. That is an understanding of corporate worship that is foreign to the New Testament. Um, But you know what's even more troubling? Is that his words put language to my heart. And while I may never say that, so often I enter into corporate worship with that mentality. And I, I must confess that. What am I going to get out of this? God, through his word, wants to give us a perspective, wants to give us an understanding of Sunday morning that is so much bigger than you. You're a part of it, yes, but it's so much bigger than you. Look at these passages with me. Um, I, I'm going to go through several passages, okay? They're going to get in the mud a little bit, but I want you to try to stay with me. Ephesians 5, 18 through 19. Paul says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another, one another, in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up, who? One another to love and good works. Do you know what's next? Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but doing what? Encouraging one another. Back to Colossians 3.26, just so we can hear it again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's he go on to say? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Back to 1 Corinthians 14. When you come together, each one has what? A hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for what? Building up the body. Building up the body. You know, the tragedy of the worship wars. Um, some of you know what I'm talking about when I say the worship wars that occurred in churches in the kind of late 90s and early 2000s, and some battles are still waging on today in some places. If you don't know what I'm talking about, please come talk to me. I can't wait to let you in on this. Um, but the real tragedy in it is that we let musical preference divide us. We let musical preference divide us. Oh, those that want an organ and want hymns, well, you go to, and you can have this service, and then you that want praise songs um, in, a, in a band, uh, you go to this service. Because clearly we can't do this together because we have what? Different purposes, different preferences. And how could we worship together with these differences? It's just much easier to separate right? The tragedy is that when you open up the New Testament and you go through the verses that I just went through, it's clear that singing is meant to unite us. Singing is meant to be a unifying 
act in which we set our gaze on Jesus, in which we let the word of Christ dwell among us, and that we would, we would glorify God, we would worship him, and that would be done whether we're singing nothing but the blood or whether we're singing seas of crimson. Crimson, excuse me. Seas of crimson is a great song too, though. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote Cosper again because his book rocks. If singing is about consumeristic preference, then my singing is motivated by personal taste. If singing is about letting God's word dwell among us, then my singing is motivated by love for God and love for one another. Let me be clear. Is singing and prayer for your spiritual edification? Of course. But I think what we're prone to forget is that our singing and prayer is meant to build up one another. Build up one another. We sing to one author and one object, yes, but we sing to one another, encouraging and building one another up. It's amazing to me. Talk about ordinary means. God wants to speak to others. God wants to encourage others. God wants to convict others. God wants to reveal himself to others through your off-pitched, shrieking singing. Isn't that remarkable? Look at the power of God. Singing that sends animals into other rooms. God wants to use that to build up others' faith. I'll be honest, there are some Sunday mornings that I come in and as we're singing, I just don't want to sing. I, I'm tired. I'm irritable. Um, I don't want to sing. And it has nothing to do with John Mark or the worship team. During the sermon, I sit there. I can't focus. It has nothing to do with who's preaching. Nothing to do with who's preaching or what they're talking about. And then I see a brother or I see a sister in Christ, and I see them with hands raised, tears in their eyes, singing about Jesus. And my, my cold, tired, irritated heart is stirred. Someone gets up and they pray and they talk about the season that they're in and it's exactly the season I'm in. And the Lord uses that to stir my heart and affections and increase my faith in him. Even your silent prayer even as you sit in your seat and you pray by yourself, you have no idea what your prayers are doing within this body. There's so many examples of this happening that I would preach an hour and a half long sermon to go through them all. Sundays are not just about us. It's about being caught up in something larger. God wants to use your singing and praying to build up others. Okay. Last point. Praying and singing together are a means of grace that shape us to be a people that love the nations. Praying and singing are a means of grace that are meant to shape us to be a people that love the nations. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 23 with me. 
If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Okay, once again, can't get into tongues. Dang it. But what's Paul's concern? Paul's concern goes beyond the singing, the praying of the congregation to just building up the church. But it's meant to do what? To build up the faith, to bring faith to those that aren't believers, to the nations, to those who are outside the church, but yet are present within their midst. So Paul desires that the church would seek prophecy, which is intelligible, so that those may hear the truth about who God is, may hear the truth of the gospel, and say, oh, the God that the church is worshiping and singing and proclaiming about is the God of the universe. And the triune God's gospel is right and good. Jesus is Lord. When, when you sing, and this is an article of faith, when you sing and you pray, um, you are proclaiming to a watching world that Jesus is king. That Jesus is king. In Psalm 96, you can go look at it. Um, the people of God, uh, their praise, their worship of God is meant to do what? To declare the glories of him to the nations. Um, I love what Keller says about this. Tim Keller. If you don't know who Tim Keller is, then come talk to me. I don't know if you've been living under a rock or... I'm, I'm kidding. You don't have to know who Tim Keller is. He's a well-known Christian figure. Excuse me, that was a little snarky. I'm sorry. I'm getting sassy at the end of my sermon. Um, what was I talking about? Tim Keller. Tim Keller says that um, God wants the world to overhear us worshiping him. And this is important. We are not simply to communicate the gospel to the outside world. We are to celebrate the gospel to the outside world. We're not simply to communicate the gospel to the outside world. We're meant to celebrate the gospel before them. Um, Maybe you're sitting here and you say, okay, this past week I haven't shared the gospel with anyone. Um, did you sing the first song when you came into worship? Um, if you did, then you publicly proclaimed the good news of the gospel to the world. Isn't that good news? <laughs> Isn't that good news? God wants to use your delight God wants to use your satisfaction. God wants to use your praise. God wants to use your tears. Um, God wants to use your confession. God wants to use your failures. He wants to do all of that during this time to reveal to the world that Jesus is King. I can't tell you how many people I have talked to 
that have said that they were uncertain about whether or not they were going to become a Christian. They were uncertain about singing. But God spoke to them in the midst of the corporate gathering. During a sermon? Yes, of course. At the table? But during singing, right? During prayer. During the corporate singing and prayer. Your singing and prayer. As I was preparing for this sermon, there were so many things that I said, God, would you just give us faith? to believe this? Would you just set this before us week in and week out? Because it can seem ordinary, but it's not. It's never ordinary when the living God is among us. And as we sing and as we pray, knowing that we're singing and praying to an outside world, God wants to shape your affections to love the nations and to see that as your identity in Christ, as um, you are in Christ, you are a sent one. You're a sent one. Um, social media, the news cycle, I know I keep going back to these things, but they have a powerful shaping effect. Um, even just driving in traffic can shape me to be a person that hates other people. I mean, really hates other people. You would be shocked at the things that I say to myself about other people, Right? just takes one minute in front of the TV. Worship, singing, praying, entering into that is meant to shape us to be a people that go, oh my gosh, I am a sinner that's saved by grace. I have no stance before God, and he has saved me, and he's called me to go out into the world and to speak his good news. As a kid, I remember reading the story of Jonah and thinking, Jonah is so dumb. I can remember telling that to my Sunday school teacher. I was one of those kids. Jonah's so dumb. I'm Jonah. I am Jonah. I gladly receive the grace of God while wishing that others get what they have coming. I, I gladly sit and meditate on how right I am and how wrong everybody else is. Corporate singing is supposed to change that. It's supposed to remind me Jesus loves the world. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, and he ta- calls us to do something insane, not only to pray for them, but to give our lives for them. Let me just close with this. I feel like I've said I'm going to close with this three times. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm a preacher. What do you, you know, what do you want? Um, let me just close with this. Um, I've been to a lot of Christian youth events. <sighs> yeah. Um, as, a, as a teenager and uh, as, as a leader, and often, you know, not often, but from time to time, the speaker or the pastor will get up and say something like, you know, I, I, I was at a football game last night and uh, everyone was going crazy for that football team, and I'm thinking, if we can do that for a football team, then we can do that for Jesus. Come on, everybody, right? I know, it's painful. <laughs> it, it is. Um, so I don't want to do that, right? I mean, I've just preached about singing and praying. Um, genuine worship of God, uh, genuine singing, genuine shouting praise can never be manipulated. Um, and this is another one. It, it can't be created by hype, right? 
It can't be created by hype. Genuine worship of the triune God happens because God meets us. We see him. And in the scriptures, we see singing. We see shouting. We see dancing. We see crying. We see mourning. We see wailing. Um, We also see silence and contemplation. We have space for all of that here at Shades Valley. So what do I ask? I ask what I asked at the beginning of this sermon. I simply ask that you would enter in. You would enter in. And that you would see that you are not a spectator this morning. You are a participant. And God wants to use your singing. God wants to use your prayer to transform you. Yeah, you better believe it. He's going to do that. But to also transform this church and to show a broken and, hurt, a broken and hurting world the truth of his gospel. Join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, come. True worship cannot be manufactured. It cannot be hyped. Um, True change cannot be created by human hands. It can only be done by your Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we know you're here, but we pray that you would come. We pray that you would come like fire, that you would reveal to us the glories of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that you would do so for our good. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, in whom we come to delight and enjoy now and forever. Amen. Amen.